The following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much. This is a wonderful mystery that we get to celebrate. Christ, though was slain by death, has been resurrected. And so we as your people, we come to celebrate and to gather together to remember that that was our death and that that was our resurrection when we are united to you by faith. And so help us, God, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would have your way with us and that you would show us Jesus in a, uh, a fuller and greater way. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We are finished the book of Esther, and today I'm going to do something a little bit different, and I've learned that I need to preface that versus diving into it, as I've done before. And so we are going to do a first-person narrative from Mordecai's perspective. And so I'm going to retell the book of Esther from Mordecai's perspective. Therefore, when I start talking, you're not like, well, who in the world is he, and what in the world is he talking about? <laughs> so with that, the whole point of a first-person narrative is that you would join in, that you get to see the book of Esther from a different perspective, from an insider's perspective. And so that's the hope as we do this. What shall be done to the man that the king delights to honor? My name is Mordecai, but of course you knew that. You came today to hear the story of Purim, the story of victory over defeat, the story of rescue from the Jews' enemies. You see, this story has happened to me. I have experienced this, but it's not simply my story that I'm telling you, but the story of those around me. You see, I've gathered this story from Esther, from the eunuchs, and so I tell you the story that I have experienced, but also the story that I have received. And I tell you the story, not simply for your sake, not simply that you might know and hear what has happened and the great deliverance that was given to us, but that you might receive and that you might pass it on. You see, this story is not simply for you, but it is for your children. And it is for your children's children. This story, it will live on. Our story begins many, many years ago when I was a much younger man. I actually had hair back then. You see, my... Uh, my older, my father, Jair, had a, a, a brother, Abiahel. And Abiahel, though he was my father's brother, was much younger, and he was as a brother to me. We grew together, being so close. I loved Abiahel as a brother. We grew together, but he was struck down in the middle of his life, unexpectedly. Him and his wife were killed, leaving behind them their only daughter, Hadassah, you might know her as Queen Esther, but that was not always so. She was left orphaned, alone. She had nowhere to go and no one to go to. I could not leave my uncle's daughter. I could not leave my cousin to be orphaned. And so I opened my home and I took her in. And she became as a daughter to me and I became as her father. And I, I loved her. It seems like yesterday that she was just a little girl and then I blinked my eyes and she became a woman. Puberty and boys came and I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I was far over my head. But she wasn't. She was as brilliant as she was beautiful. She knew who to honor and how to honor them. She knew when to ask questions and when to make assertions. She knew how to listen 
and she knew when to speak. She had suitors knocking at our door all the time, but she was not ready, not yet. Or perhaps it's better to say, I was not ready. And I don't know if I ever would have been. But that, that didn't matter when the king's eunuchs came knocking at our door. They came knocking and demanding that Esther go with them. News had spread, we all knew. King Xerxes had a royal feast for six months, had celebrated with all of them, showing the splendor of his wealth, showing his kingdom on display, but that wasn't enough. The only thing left that he hadn't shown off was his queen, was Vashti. And so he demanded that Vashti come and parade herself in front of, uh, in front of his troops, in front of his men, that they might see his, his possessions, they might see his worth, his value. But Vashti refused. And if there's one thing that you know in the kingdom, it's that you don't refuse Xerxes without consequence, especially when he's drunk. But she did. Vashti refused to come to Xerxes at his bidding. And so she was deposed. Luckily for her, she kept her head. And she was, her crown was taken from her. Well, not long after that, Xerxes went off to battle to finish what his father started, a battle against the Greeks. It took many seasons, and he returned back defeated, depressed. And it was in that time that he started to reflect and think about what he had lost, not only his victory, but also his queen. Perhaps he was saddened by his decision, but it was too late. He could not go back on what he had said. And so some of the king's younger advisors suggested a brilliant idea. Oh, king, why should you be sad when there are so many women out in the kingdom to replace Vashti? And so the king issued a royal edict that every beautiful woman that was a virgin should be gathered. And so the eunuchs came. I still remember the day. We were there and the eunuchs came and they, they took Esther. Though she was scared, it was not the worst of fates in the kingdom of Persia. She would be well-fed. She would be cared for. She was scared, but she was anxious. She was also excited for what girl doesn't dream of being queen. And she asked me, how should I act? What should I do, Mordecai? I, I trust you. You see, she was not a fool. She was submissive, but she was also wise. She was wise beyond her years. And as Jews, we have had many enemies throughout the years, oftentimes people in power that have sought our destruction. And so I told her, I said, Esther, Hadassah, you shall not disclose your identity. You shall not tell anyone that you are a Jew from where you come from or where you are going. You shall hide that. You shall be submissive. You shall win favor. And Esther went into the harem to either be queen or to be a part of the concubines for the king. She stood out like a rose among dandelions. And she knew how to not simply gain favor, but to win it. You see, she genuinely cared for people, but more than that, she knew what to say and when to say it. She knew how to, to talk to people, to make them feel cared for and loved and valued. And that gained her favor, especially with the king's eunuch, Haggai. Haggai learned to love Esther, and Esther entrusted herself to his care. They had 12 months of beautifying, and I visited her every single day. I wanted to see how she was. You see, six months of oil and myrrh and, uh, and spices the other six months, partly because the king wanted to ensure that his virgins were truly virgins, and also because there was a standard to be with the king. You had to look a certain way and eat a certain way to be with the king. And after the, six, after the, the 12 month period was up, Esther had her chance. 
And that 12 months, she had gained favor with Haggai, and Haggai told her, here is what you must do to win the king over. And she went in, and she trusted Haggai, and she did exactly as he said. And a miracle happened. Unlike ever before, unlike the thousand other women that he had had in his bed before Esther, she won his heart. The king had never found another woman like her. And he made her queen. It was a a beautiful wedding, a royal celebration. Taxes were let go for a time. Everybody was excited. But being a queen wasn't always as glamorous as it seems. You see, Xerxes, he was not a faithful man. Even while Esther was queen, he still had a harem. Not only that, but he brought a second round of recruitments to join his, his harem to satisfy his appetite. It was during this time that Esther's queen that she brought me to be an administrator. I came to sit in the king's gate to help bring justice into Persia. And it was because of my position, because of my position in the king's gate, that I learned about a plot you see, I, I listened and I heard rumors, I heard news that there was a plot against the king and against his life, that two of the king's eunuchs had been scheming, that their anger against the king had boiled over into murderous rage. But I waited. I knew that it was soon, but I wanted to be assured. And so I asked questions quietly, subtly, and my suspicions were confirmed. And I reported what I had learned to Esther, and she told the king in my name that there was an assassination attempt against his life. And so the king discovered that this was true, and these two eunuchs were put to death. Now you would think that, I mean, rescuing the king would get me a reward. But alas, not every good deed is compensated in its right time. You see, after this, I was not rewarded but in fact, Haman was. Haman came from a wealthy family. He had military prowess. He had a sharp mind and tongue, and he had the, the king's ear. He had influence with the king. He was just the kind of man that the king wanted to be second in command. And so when the king put his ring on Haman and said, you are my second, Haman immediately urged the king to demand that everywhere he went, that homage would be given to him, that people would bow down to Haman. And so the king gladly obliged. And as Haman walked through with his newfound power, eager to see his subject be bow before him, all in the king's gate bowed before Haman, except for me. I would not bow, and I will not bow to Haman. Now, he didn't notice the first time, or the second time, or the third time, but others did. Those around me noticed that I would not bow, that I would not honor Haman And they asked why. And as they realized that my stubbornness and my conviction that it would not budge, they sought to test it directly. And so they went to Haman and they told Haman that I would not bow before him, that I would not honor him. And Haman came to me directly to put to the test my conviction. And he said, Mordecai, you will bow before me. And I told him, Haman, I will not bow before you. I will never bow before you. And he seethed with rage and he yelled. He said, you will bow before me or I will take your head. Haman, you may take my life, but I will never bow before you. 
seething with anger because everyone in the king's gate saw my refusal, saw his dishonor. He whispered in my ear and he said, if you will not bow before me, I will not simply take your life, but I will take the life of your people. Everything that you hold dear, I will slaughter before your face and you will have not power to rescue. You will bow or you will be destroyed, you and your people. Haman, you may threaten me, you may threaten my people, but I will never bow before me, before you. And you could see a sinister smile creep across Haman's face. He says, fine, off to the king I go. The Jews to be slaughtered. The next day, what I feared happened. An edict was issued from the king declaring that all Jews were to be slaughtered, to be killed, to be annihilated, to be destroyed, that their plunder, their goods were to be taken on the 13th of Adar, which is in early March. I had learned through the grapevine that Haman had gone to the king and that he had told the king that we were an evil, wretched people, that we disobeyed his laws and that we were worthy of being destroyed. That he paid the king over 10,000 talents of silver, which is two-thirds of the revenue to purchase us for destruction. And that the king allowed Haman's decree to go forth. I ripped my, my clothes. I put sackcloth and ashes and, and mourned. I would not hide. I would declare what my heart was feeling. The, the brokenness, the hurt, the misery, the mourning. But yet I knew we would be delivered. We would be rescued, but where? But how? I had to go talk to Esther. And so as I went to go seek Esther, I was barred. You see, the king, he can't be bothered with sorrow or with distress. I was not allowed into his presence because of my sackcloth and ashes. And so I sat there. When Esther learned that I was outside of the gate, she sent her servant, her eunuch, to come and to give me clothes to change into. But I would not change. I will not I will not act differently than what is true. And so I refused to change clothes and, and I reported to her eunuch everything that had happened. I gave him an, an edict. I gave him a copy of the decree that was issued and told him to go and to tell Esther what had happened and that she must go into the king, that she must go to the king and she must ask him to revoke the command that Haman had tricked him into issuing. Haman... Esther got it and she replied back with fear and with confusion. She said, I, I cannot come into the king. Mordecai, you know that if anyone comes to the king unbidden, that they will die. And not only that, I have not been summoned for, for 30 days. For over a month, I've not been summoned to the king. I am not in his favor. And you know that the king does not sleep alone at night. And once the king learns of who I am, that I've hidden my identity from him and of what I'm asking, you think that he's going to show me favor? Do you forget what he did to the last queen for a lesser distress, a lesser, a lesser um, command that, that she broke? There's no way. If I will go in, I will, I will lose my life. Esther, I said, do you not realize deliverance and rescue? It will come. It will come. I am assured of that. The question is, will you be a part of it? 
For if in this time you do not use your resources and your power to the rescue of your people, then you will face certain destruction. But if you step out, if you choose to be used, if you go to the king and you, you've been put there for a time like this, do you not think that you became queen for such a time like this, for such this very purpose to rescue your people? She received this word and she sent back and she said, issue a fast. Tell every Jew around that they are to neither drink water nor eat for three days to fast for me, that I will do the same with my people and that after this, I will go to the king. And if I perish, I perish. Three days and three nights passed. I was hungry and thirsty. But the weekend came and went and the day for Esther to go to the king arrived. I went to her to talk, and during those three days, she had thought through a plan. She knew that she was going to have to go to the king, that there was only so much that she could do before she had to step out in faith. She had to step forth in courage. But she had decided that she would wear her royal garb, that she would wrap herself in royalty, and that she would go before the king, and that she would issue a banquet for him. She knew the king, she knew his love language, she knew how to win his favor. And so she would stroke his ego. She would coax him into a banquet, him and Haman, that they would be together. That when the king learned of the attack against her and against her people, that Haman would not be far away for his wrath to fall upon. And so if it wouldn't happen in one, she decided that she would go for a second as well. And so she issued and went to host the banquet. And I went to, I went to work. It was probably mid to late afternoon when I saw Haman get out of the banquet. He strolled across with a, a smile on his face, everyone bowing before him. And then he came over to me and I refused to bow once more. He looked at me. He didn't say a word, but I've seen the eyes of men who have the look of murder on them who know that they're about to kill. And I could tell, Haman would not wait for the appointed time to kill me. I knew that he had murder in his heart against me and that would happen soon. I learned about this other part from Haman's servants, who are my servants now. They told me that Haman went back to his family and that he recounted all of his wealth, that he recounted all of his possessions, his status before the king, how he and he alone had been invited to the the queen's banquet but how none of that mattered. None of it mattered as long as I would not bow before him. And his family and his friends, they, they gave him advice that would lead to his destruction. They said, Haman, why do you not rid yourself of this Mordecai? Why do you not destroy him? Why not put up a massive spike and why not impale him on it for all to see his destruction? And that that is what Haman did. That night he did not sleep he set his servants to work and they put up the gallows for my death. But Haman was not the only one who couldn't sleep. The king also could not sleep. Oh, the irony that the night before my death, the king could not sleep and that he was awoken. And for his, for his aid to sleep, he called forth his servants and he had them read the chronicles of the king. And when it came to, to my time, the king remembered there was something that was that was hindering his rest, something that he had forgotten that he had not made right. And he remembered. It came to the time where I had reported 
the assassination attempt, and he remembered that he had not rewarded me, that there was nothing that had been done to reward me for, for rescuing him. And so he called forth, he said, who else is in the palace right now? I must have counsel, I must have advice. Who else is here? And his eunuch said, Haman, Haman has just entered into, into the palace, into the king's gate. So the king called Haman before him. He said, Haman, what shall be done to the man the king delights to honor? And of course, Haman thought, who better to, to honor than, my, than me? You know, the king wants to honor me, of course. And so Haman said, you know what should be done to the man the king delights to honor? You shall put him on a royal horse that the king's crown has been set upon. You shall clothe him in royal robes and you shall parade him around the city capital announcing thus shall be done to the man the king delights to honor. He said, that's a great idea, Haman. You shall go and you shall do that to Mordecai. I had just gotten to work. I had just gotten into the king's gate and I saw Haman walking towards me. I thought, most surely this was my death. But instead, I saw a look of despair on Haman's face, a look of frustration as he brought the king's horse and he put me on it. I was befuddled, I was confused. What, what are you doing, Haman? This is the king's command, not mine. The king is rewarding you for your rescue of him. And so for the next hour, Haman with his head down paraded me through the city capital proclaiming, thus shall be done to the man the king delights to honor. After that hour's over, as soon as it was over, Haman put his hood over his head and ran home. He was told by his family that, if, that this was a sign. This was a sign of his destruction and his defeat. Now, he was excited to get out of there and to go to more merry endeavors, and so he went before the queen and king in their banquet that Esther had issued. You see, there in the first banquet, the king had asked, he said, Esther, what is it that you want? What is it that you would ask for? Even up to half of my kingdom, I will give you. But Esther knew the time wasn't right, that it wasn't time for her to ask for her request. And so she said, oh, king, if you love me, if you delight in me, if you would be overjoyed to grant my request, then come to my next banquet that I've prepared for you tomorrow. And so the second banquet occurred. Haman was there, the king was there. It was a banquet more glorious than the first. And as they came, they ate and they were drinking wine. And the king once more said, Esther, what is your request? Even up to half of my kingdom, I will grant you. Tell me, what is it that you want? Esther said, if you delight in me, if you love me, if you've chosen me, then this is my request. Grant my life. Grant my people's life. For you see, I and my people, we have been sold to be annihilated, to be killed, to be destroyed. If you would delight in me, please save me. If we were simply to be sold as slaves, we would not have bothered, for it would not matter to distress the king in such a manner. But we have been sold to be destroyed. Save us, O king. The king immediately, drunken in rage, rose up. said, Esther, who is it? Where is he? Whom has done this thing against you? And of course, Esther turned and said, it is this wicked Haman that is right next to us. The look of terror filled Haman's face as he realized that destruction was imminent. The king went off from his room, stewing about what to do, and Haman remained, falling down at Esther's couch, begging for his life. 
giving the king all the reason as he returned to kill Haman. For Haman was not allowed to be in the queen's presence. Now you know that Haman had to be hated for one of the eunuchs in the king's service that had heard Haman's plots, that knew of his plan to kill me, to erect a spike and impale me, told the king. He said, O king, I know what is to be done to Haman. For he had sought to kill Mordecai, whom you honored just, just earlier. Why not kill Haman on the same instrument of destruction that he had planned for Mordecai? And so it was done. The king destroyed Haman on the very instrument that he had sought to destroy me upon. There was relief. There was victory. This was a sign of what was to come. But you see, it was, it was not over. The king immediately gave all of Haman's lands and property to Queen Esther. And then Esther disclosed who I was to her, that I was as her father, that I raised her and cared for her. And the king gave me Haman's signet ring and he declared that I would be second in command that I had all of Haman's power and his wealth and his position. As thankful and as important as this decision was, it didn't change the fact that we still had a decree issued against our people and that destruction was imminent. And, not, and even more so because Haman's family was likely thinking of revenge and of destruction against us at this point. And so we asked the king, king, is there nothing that can be done? Can we not issue something to reverse this edict against us and our people? The king said, you have my seal and you have my pen. Write what you must, but the edict cannot be revoked. And so Esther and I gathered together and we wrote a counter edict that mirrored Haman's, that on the 13th of Adar, that the Jews had the right to defend themselves against every single person that attacked them, that they could, they could kill, annihilate, destroy, and plunder every enemy that put themselves against them. Now this edict was sent to all provinces of the kingdom and many, many came forth and actually became Jews because they had heard about the downfall of Haman and the rise of myself. Finally, when the time came for the final attack, when the enemies of the Jews gathered together, the reverse happened. The Jews gained victory over their enemies. In the capital of Susa, over 500 men were killed. All of Haman's family that had planned revenge were destroyed. In the entire provinces of the kingdom, over 75,000 people were killed that attacked the Jews. And you see, the Jews gained victory, reversal over their enemies. It required in Susa another day to defend themselves. Another 300 men were killed in Susa as the Jews defended themselves against their enemies. And this is what we celebrate with Purim. Purim is the day that we celebrate our rest, our rejoicing, our celebration that victory can come from defeat, that life can come out of death, that light can emerge from darkness, and that there can be courage even when it starts out as cowardice. Purim is the day that we celebrate that evil does not have the last word. That, this, that there's a purpose and a plan working behind everything, whether we see it in the present or whether we look back on it and remember what has been done for us in the future. It is a sign that is pointing us forward to something greater, to something more permanent. You see, there will always be men like Haman. There will always be dangers to avoid, 
But Purim points us to a greater truth, that there, that there might one day be a greater deliverer that will come and that will rescue us from the very cause of a Haman. And this is what we hope for. We hope for this day, a day when evil will be no more, a day where justice will be enforced, a day where the reversal will happen and where the broken will be exalted, where the enemies of God's people will be destroyed and where there will be peace, where there will be rest and where there will be rejoicing. Maybe, maybe one day. Until then, we remember. We remember what has been done at Purim. We remember and we celebrate. This is my story. This is the story of Purim. Remember the truths contained within. Cherish them, celebrate them, and do not keep them for yourself. This story is not simply for you, but is for your children and your children's children. Pray with me. Father, thank you for the story of Esther and for the truths that it teaches us. Help us to embody the story, to live out the fact that even though your name isn't mentioned, even though we don't see you, that you are working behind the scenes, that all the coincidences and the reversals or it points us to you, Jesus. Help us to see and help us to live in these truths. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.